Chapter Two of Baseball Joe in the Central League by Lester Chadwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Donald Cummings. Chapter Two, Off for the South. Sweeping past in the cab of the locomotive, the engineer leaned out and shook his fist at the tramp. "You ought to be locked up," he yelled with savage energy. Then, lest he might not seem to appreciate Joe's action in saving the man's life and preventing a lot of trouble for the railroad authorities, the engineer added, "'Much obliged to you, young fellow. You saved us a bad mess. Better turn that hobo over to one of the yard detectives. He'll take care of him all right.' "'No, I'll let him off the tracks and start him home, if I can,' answered Joe. But it is doubtful if the engineer heard. "'You had a close call, old man,' went on Joe, as he helped the tramp to stand upright. Better get off the railroad. Where do you want to go? Eh? I ask you where you want to go. I'll give you a hand, if it isn't too far. It's dangerous here, for a man in your... condition. Oh, don't make no difference where I go, I reckon, said the man thickly. No difference at all. I'm down and out, and one place good's another. Down and out. Oh, well, maybe you can come back, said Joe, as cheerful as he could. Don't give up. Come back? Huh? Guess you don't know the game. Fellas like me never come back. Say, Bo, you got quite an arm on you, he said admiringly, as he noted the ease with which the young pitcher helped him over the tracks. The unfortunate man could hardly help himself. You've got an arm all right. Oh, nothing much. Just from pitching, I expect. Pitching? The man straightened up as though a lash had struck him. Pitching, do you say? In, er, uh, in what league? Not in any league yet, though I've signed with the Central. The Central? Huh? A bush league. I left Yale Varsity to go with them, said Joe, a little nettled at the tone of the man whose life he had just saved. Oh, you pitch for Yale. There was more deference shown now. Yes, and we beat Princeton. You did? And you pitched? Say, young fella, put her there. Put her there. The man held out an unsteady hand, which Joe, more to quiet him than for any other reason, clasped firmly. And you beat Princeton. Good for you. Put her there. I, er, I read about that. I can read. I got good education. But I, er, oh, I'm a fool, that's what I am, a fool, and to think that I once, oh, what's the use, what's the use? The energy faded away from his voice, and he ended in a half-sob. With bowed head, he allowed Joe to lead him across the tracks. A number of railroad men who had seen the rescue looked at the pair, but once the tramp was off the line and out of immediate danger, they lost interest. "'Can I help you? Do you want to go anywhere in particular?' asked Joe kindly. "'What's the use of going anywhere in particular?' was the demand. "'I've got nowhere to go. One place is as good as another when you're down and out. Out. Ha! Yes, out. He's out. Out at first. Last. Out all the time. Out.' "'Oh, quit!' exclaimed Joe sharply, for the man was fast losing his nerve and was almost sobbing. "'That's right, young feller, that's right. 
came the quick retort. I do need pulling up. Much obliged to you. I... I guess I can take care of myself now. Have you any... do you need any... money? hesitated Joe. No, no, thank you. I've got some. Not much, but enough until I can get straightened out. I'm much obliged to you. He walks straighter now, and more upright. Be careful to keep off the tracks, warned Joe. I, I will. Don't worry. Much obliged. And the man walked off into the woods that adjoined the railroad. Poor old chap, mused the young pitcher, as he resumed his way to his father's shop. And while I have just a few moments, I will take advantage of them to make my new readers better acquainted with Joe and his achievements as detailed in the former books of this series. The first volume is entitled Baseball Joe of the Silver Stars and tells how Joe began his career as a pitcher. The Silver Stars were made up of ball-loving lads in Riverside, a New England town where Joe lived with his parents and his sister Clara. Mr. Matson was an inventor of farming machinery and had perfected a device that brought him in substantial returns. Joe, Tom Davis, and a number of other lads formed a team that was to represent Riverside. Their bitterest rivals were the Resolutes of Rocky Ford, a neighboring town, and many hot battles of the diamond were fought. Joe rapidly developed as a pitcher, and it was due to his efforts that his team made such an excellent showing. In the second book, entitled Baseball Joe on the School Nine, I related what happened when our hero went to Excelsior Hall, a boarding institution just outside of Cedarhurst. Joe did not find it so easy there to make a showing as a pitcher. There was more competition to begin with, and he had rivals and enemies. But he did not give up, and, in spite of many difficulties, he finally occupied the mound when the annual struggle for the Blue Banner took place. And what a game that was! Joe spent several terms at Excelsior Hall, and then, more in deference to his mother's wishes than because he wanted to, he went to Yale. For an account of what happened there, I refer my readers to the third book of the series, called Baseball Joe at Yale. Joe had an uphill climb at the big university. Mingled with the hard work, the hopes deferred, and the jealousies were, however, good times aplenty. That is one reason why Joe did not want to leave it. But he had an ambition to become a professional ball player, and he felt that he was not fitted for a college life. So when Jimmy Mack, assistant manager of the Pittston team of the Central League, who was out scouting for new and promising players, saw Joe's pitching battle against Princeton, he made the young collegian an offer which Joe did not feel like refusing. He closed his college career abruptly, and when this story opens, we find him coming back from New Haven to Riverside. In a day or so, he is expected to join the recruits at the training camp of the Pittston Nine, which was at Montville, North Carolina. As Joe kept on, after his rescue of the tramp, his thoughts were busy over many subjects. Chief among them was wonder as to how he would succeed in his new career. And then I've got to learn how Dad's affairs are, mused Joe. I may have to pitch in and help him. Mr. Matson came from his private office in the harvester works and greeted Joe warmly. We didn't expect you home quite so soon, he said, as he clasped his son's hand. No, I found out, after I wrote that I was coming home, that I could get an earlier train that would save me nearly a day, so I took it. But, Dad, what's this I hear about your financial troubles? 
Oh, never mind about them, Joe, was the evasive answer. But I want to mind, Dad. I want to help you. Mr. Matson went into details, with which I will not tire the reader. Sufficient to say that the inventor had invested some capital in certain stocks and bonds, the value of which now seemed uncertain. And if I have to lose it, I have to, I suppose, concluded Joe's father resignedly. Now, my boy, tell me about yourself, and baseball, and he smiled, for he knew Joe's hobby. Father and son talked at some length, and then, as Mr. Matson had about finished work for the day, the two set out for home together. On the way, Joe met his old chum, Tom Davis, and they went over again the many good times in which they had taken part. Joe liked his home. He liked his hometown and his old chums, but still he wished to get into the new life that had called him. He was not sorry, therefore, when, a few days later, he received a telegram from Mr. Mack, telling him to report at once to Montville. "'Oh, Joe!' exclaimed his mother. Do you really have to go so soon? I'm afraid so, Momsey, he answered. You see, the league season will soon open, and I want to begin at the beginning. This is my life work, and I can't lose any time. Pitching ball a life work, sighed Mrs. Matson. Oh, Joe, if it was only breaching, or something like that. Let the boy alone, mother, said Mr. Matson, with a good-humored twinkle in his eye. We can't all be ministers and I'd rather have a World Series winner in my family than a poor lawyer or doctor. He'll do more good in society, too. Good luck to you, Joe. But Joe was not to get away to the South as quietly as he hoped. He was importuned by his old baseball chums to pitch an exhibition game for them, but he did not think it wise, under the circumstances, so declined. But they wanted to do him honor, and, learning through Tom Davis, who, I may say in passing, got the secret from Clara, when Joe's train was to leave, many of the old members of the Silver Stars gathered to wish their hero Godspeed. "'What's the matter with baseball, Joe?' was the cry outside the station, whither Joe had gone with his sister and mother, his father having bidden him good-bye earlier. "'What's the matter with Joe Matson?' "'He's all right,' came the staccato reply. Again the demand. "'Who's all right?' Baseball Joe! Why, what, what does it mean? asked Mrs. Matson in bewilderment as she sat near her son in the station and heard the cries. Oh, it's just the boys, said Joe easily. They're giving Joe a send-off, explained Clara. Quite a crowd gathered as the members of the amateur nine cheered Joe again and again. Many other boys joined in, and the scene about the railroad depot was one of excitement. "'What's going on?' asked the stranger. "'Joe Matson's going off,' was the answer. "'Who's Joe Matson?' "'Don't you know?' The lad looked at the man in half-contempt. "'Why, he pitched a winning game for Yale against Princeton, and now he's going to the Pittstons of the Central League.' "'Oh, I see. Hmm. Is that he?' And the man pointed to the figure of our hero, surrounded by his friends. "'That's him.' Say, I wish he was me, and the lad looked enviously at Joe. I, I never knew baseball was so, so popular, said Mrs. Matson to Clara, as the shouting and cheers grew, while Joe resisted an attempt on the part of the lads to carry him on their shoulders. I guess it's as much Joe as it is the game, 
answered Clara proudly. Three chairs for Joe, were called for, and given with a will. Again came the question as to who was all right, and the usual answer followed. Joe was shaking hands with two lads at once, and trying to respond to a dozen requests for letters or passes to the league games. Then came the whistle of the train, more hurried goodbyes, a last kiss for his mother and sister, final cheers, shouts, calls for good wishes, and Joe was on his way to the southern baseball camp. End of chapter 2